If you have your Bibles open, you can turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Several weeks ago, I was approached by some college students, and they wanted to talk about the subject of Christianity and why Christianity, why we believe that Christianity is the one true faith, and why we believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. This wasn't the first time, nor was it the last time, even this year, that a group of young people have come to me and asked, why Christianity? And so I decided to uh, put together a series of messages to answer the question, why Christianity? And with each sermon, I want to give you uh, a, a single different reason why I not only believe in Christianity, believe in Christ, but why I still embrace Christianity. Uh, I think this is a needful thing for you and me to study because uh, among all religious groups, and by religion I'm talking about Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, New Age, but also atheists and agnostics because atheism is a faith. Among all religious groups, the fastest growing group in America is, is that category of groups that's called non-religious. The number of uh, people who don't believe in God or who don't worship God because they don't know if God exists, that group has doubled in America in the past five years. Now, they don't make up a majority of people, but it is the fastest growing group with regard to religion. And these people are some people that you work with. They're some people you go to school with. They may be, from time to time, people you go to church with. But for sure, they are people who are looking for answers to the deep questions of their lives, and they're looking to us, and they're asking this question. Why Christianity? So I'm going to begin this series by looking at one verse of Scripture from Hebrews chapter 11. This is that wonderful Hall of Faith chapter where the heroes of faith are listed and outlined and lifted up as heroes of our faith. In the opening verses of that chapter, there is one single verse, verse number 6, where the writer of Hebrews says this. He says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he, God, exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I want you to notice in that verse, because anyone who comes to God must believe that God is, that God exists. In 1927, the atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell delivered a series of lectures on the subject why I am not a Christian. Later, he published those lectures in a book of essays by the same title, Why I Am Not a Christian. He gave two reasons, and the first of those reasons was basically this. He says, I'm not a Christian because I don't believe that God exists. And he says, it is my understanding that in order to be a Christian, at the very base, you have to believe that there is a God. And he said, because I don't believe in God, therefore I'm convinced that I cannot possibly 
be a Christian? Well, on the piggybacking on what Bertrand Russell said, I want to say, make this statement, and this really is the theme of this message this morning. I still embrace Christianity. I still embrace the Christian faith. I embrace Christ. First of all, because I believe that Christianity presents the best description of and explanation for the God that I believe in. I believe that Christianity offers the best explanation of who God is. And so really you have to decide where you stand with regard to God. Now in lieu of that, let me make two statements here very quickly. First of all is this. Uh, I believe that it is scientifically impossible to prove or disprove the existence of God. You cannot prove it using scientific methods. You cannot prove it using scientific observations nor mathematical formulas. It's absolutely impossible to prove the existence of God, but also to disprove the existence of God. By, by the way, that's a biblical principle. In uh, Paul's writing to the Corinthians in uh, really, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. He says this, he says, We live by faith, not by sight. Now faith, the definition for faith is to believe in something and to base your life on something even though you don't have concrete scientific proof that what you believe is true. Well, uh, Paul says we live by faith. That is, we follow Jesus and we believe in the God of the Bible based not upon scientific proof, but upon faith in the absence, we believe something in the absence of concrete scientific proof. Paul says we walk by faith, not by sight. Well, what is sight? Sight is concrete scientific proof. So even the Apostle Paul says that it is impossible to scientifically prove or disprove the existence of God. Now, the second statement that I want to make is this. Everybody, everybody you know, everybody in your family, everybody in this church and every church, everybody regardless of their religious faith believes that something has always existed. Something has always been here that had no beginning and, ha and was not created and had no cause whatsoever. Everybody believes that. Everybody. Even Bertrand Russell believed that. He did not believe in God, but he believed that something had always existed. You either believe that God is that one who's always existed, or you believe that the material universe, whatever form it took, is that which has always existed. Now, there are some people who believe that both God and the material universe have always existed. But for the most part, you have those who believe that either God has always existed is the one who's always existed, or the material universe is that which has always existed. Now for me, I believe that it does not make any logical sense that the material universe is all that's ever been. For me, that God is the one who has always existed is the most logical conclusion. And there are several reasons that I want to present to you as to why I believe that God is the one who has always existed. Now remember, the whole premise of this sermon is that I, I embrace Christianity because I believe Christianity offers the best description for, description of, and explanation for the God that I believe in, the God who I believe is true. 
You have to start with God. How do we know that God exists? Well, there are no scientific proofs, but there are what I want to call some clues. There are some clues that strongly suggest that there is a God who exists. And I want to present to you five of those clues this morning. The first clue that I believe suggests very strongly that God exists is what I call the design clue. The design clue. And it basically goes like this. The complexity of our planet points to an, a deliberate designer who not only created the universe, but who sustains it today. If you study most anything about our universe and about the makeup of the natural world that's even on planet Earth, you will discover an unbelievable uh, uh, and complex system of intricate design. And it's, it's kind of like this. If you were on a boat and you were uh, floating on the sea and you came upon a deserted island, and as you came upon the island, you, you were about to uh, anchor at a beach, and as you came up to the beach, you looked on the beach, and there were the letters S-O-S. Now, certainly, it would not enter your mind that perhaps over centuries of time, the wind and the waves had somehow carved out those letters S-O-S on that beach. That wouldn't enter your mind. Immediately, you'd think, someone has been here. Someone has been here who had the intelligence to write out those letters, the intelligence to know what those letters meant, and they were there at some time before you came and put those letters on the beach because they uh, hinted at some kind of design or else they wouldn't be there. Or perhaps if you got on that deserted island and you... you uh, pulled your boat up on the shore, and you went past the SOS into the jungle, a little place, and you come up on three huts. One of them's made out of straw. One of them is made out of wood. And the other one is made out of some sort of blocks. There's nobody there, but you find these huts. Now, certainly, you wouldn't believe that a hurricane came across the sea and blew up that uh, island in such a way that it set uh, down a straw hut and a wooden hut and a concrete hut right beside each other, perfectly dimensioned, you wouldn't believe that. You'd have to believe that somebody, a designer, who knew how to build what he or she designed, had been there before and had put those huts on that island. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we live in a world that is so intricately designed Take the planet Earth, for instance. There are, on Earth and within our atmosphere, there are what, what scientists call 26 different dimensionless constants. Now, I don't understand all about dimensionless constants, but what I do know is that, that these 26 constants had to come down, all, all 26 of them, in a narrow range, all at the same time, together, in order for plant life, animal life, human life, all of that to exist on planet Earth. And I know that the odds of that happening, of all 26 of those constants coming together in one single place at one single time in all of the vast universe is one in a million millionth. In other words, it is almost impossible that it could occur. And yet it has occurred. It's occurred right here, 
right now. And it is constantly occurring. It is constantly in motion right here. And there is no other, and there may be other places in other galaxies where uh, life exists, but we have yet to find it. This is the only place that's perfectly suited for plant life, organism, orga, organism life, and for human life. Well, how does that kind of thing happen? Can it happen by chance? The possibility is so remote. What is a greater possibility, even I would submit a probability, is that there was a designer who put it all into place, who put these constants in motion, who leveled them down to a narrow range and put us here in exactly the right time, in exactly the right distance from the sun and from other planets so that we could have earthly life. The clue for design is a clue for the existence of God. There's a second clue. I call it the first cause clue. Everything, in, everything on earth that you see is here as the result of a prior cause. I'm looking down at the Lord's Supper table. There is a, a linen cloth that covers the bread and the a cup. That cloth was sewn together by someone. There was a cause for which the effect was a linen cloth. And when that person put together that linen cloth, she or he sewed it together using cotton thread. That cotton thread came from somewhere, presumably a farmer somewhere, because he had plucked it off of a cotton stalk. That cotton stalk is the effect of a cause that was a farmer planting a seed into the ground and cultivating it and fertilizing it and watering it. There is a cause and effect to everything that you and I see in our uh, universe. Have you ever wondered the question, why is there something instead of nothing? Now, you, can, you and I can believe that this cause and effect process has gone on for an eternity in the past. We can, we can go for that if we want to, but it'll never stop. And it doesn't seem logical to anybody who thinks about it long enough that, that there wasn't first an ultimate uncaused cause that started everything. Even scientists have come to believe that there was a beginning to everything. They say that it was 15 billion years ago and there was a big bang and the universe, which was a small, dense Almost nothing exploded and from that point accelerated in every direction, expanding at astronomical speeds and is still uh, expanding at astronomical speeds. Stephen uh, Hawking, who is an astrophysicist, he says that 15 billion years ago there was the Big Bang and he says, I'm not sure what was before that. But there was a cause. Something caused Whatever it was, whether it was Big Bang or whatever it was, something caused that explosion. Something caused the beginning. But whatever it was, was outside of the universe. And it was an uncaused thing or being. I think the real question is, if the universe had a start, not what caused it, but who caused it. I believe that the first cause clue strongly hints, now it's not proof, but it strongly hints at the existence of God. Then there's a third clue. I call it the natural laws clue. You know, I know we live in a world, especially during these economic uh, downtimes, when there's a lot of uncertainty in our world. 
But if you look closely enough, you're going to find a lot of certainty in our world. Uh, unless the Lord comes back tomorrow, when you get up in the morning, the sun is going to rise in the uh, east and it's going to set in the west. When you get up in the morning, uh, your day, counting the day and the night, is going to be 24 hours. When you get up in the morning and you take your hot cup of coffee and you set it on the counter, if you don't touch that, co that cup of coffee for four hours, it will get cold. It will always get cold. Tomorrow, water will always boil at somewhere around 212 degrees Fahrenheit. And it will always freeze at somewhere around 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Gravity tomorrow on earth will be constant. The speed of light tomorrow, 186,000 miles per second, will still be 186,000 miles per second tomorrow. There are natural laws, that's just a few of them, that are constant and they will never change because they have never changed. Why? Who set out all of those laws that never change that we can always rely on? Richard Feynman is a Nobel Prize winner for his projects and his writing about quantum electrodynamics. And he said this, he says, why, the, why nature is mathematical and formulaic is a mystery. He says, the fact that there are rules that never change is a miracle in and of itself. You know what the Bible says about the way things are constant in our world? The Bible says in Paul's letter to the Colossians, says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. All things were created by him and for him. And here's what I want you to get. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The very fact that we have natural laws that don't change give a clue that we have a God who has put those things into existence and he holds them there by the, by the very power that is his very nature. Fourth, there's what I call the desire clue. Now this one will seem kind of strange on the surface, but once you think about it, it's, it's really hard, I think, to refute. And it basically goes like this. When we have a desire, when you have a desire... You have that desire because, because what we desire, the object of our desire, actually exists prior to our desiring it. All of us, every human being has some innate universal desires, desires that everybody has. For instance, you will have a hunger, you'll feel hunger and have the desire for food. You have that, that feeling of hunger and that desire for food and there is food. Within all of us, there is the, the need to breathe oxygen, and we desire oxygen. If you don't believe that, just, just go swimming and hop underwater and stay underwater and a little bit too deep, a little too long, and you start realizing how much you hunger for oxygen. The very fact that we hunger for oxygen, we desire it, indicates that it is there. Deep in all of us, there is a hunger for God. Even among those who don't recognize it, even among people like Bertrand Russell, there is a hunger for God. And that hunger lends itself to, I believe, the fact that there is a God who is the object of that deep soul hunger. Now, you may counter and you say, wait a minute. Not every desire that I have finds an object in reality. For instance, some people might say, I desire a cure for cancer, and there isn't one. 
But I would submit to you that all of us desire a cure for cancer or whatever disease you, you can think of. We desire a cure for cancer based upon the fact that there are literally millions of diseases in our world for which there are cures. Not only that, there are some cancers for which scientists and researchers have discovered effective treatment. And so the very fact that we desire a cure for cancer indicates that there is a cure for at least some cancers, a lot of diseases, and perhaps that there is a cure for cancer, all cancers that we have not even discovered. Ladies and gentlemen, what I'm getting at is this fact that we desire God. Everybody has this desire for someone outside of ourselves who can who, who is the solution to all of our deepest longings and desires and hurts and pains. And the Bible teaches us that that person is God. Fifth is what I call the DNA code. DNA. Did you know that within every cell of your body, there is a, a combination, a code of combinations of four different chemicals. Scientists give them uh, One-letter abbreviations, there's C, G, T, and A. They represent four different chemicals that make up your DNA code. In every cell of your body, and there are billions of cells in your body, but in every single one of those cells, there is this singular code made up of combinations of those four chemicals or those four letters. Those four letters can be found in every cell of your body, identical in every cell of your body, and they make up three billion, a three billion letter combination of those, those four letters in every cell of your human body, and your human body has billions of those cells with the identical code in every single cell. And not only that, but there's about almost 7 billion people on earth today. I don't know how many billions of people have preceded us here on this planet. If you piled all of those people together, not any two people, not even identical twins, have the same exact and identical DNA. Now, identical twins will have almost identical, but there will be some points in that 3 billion letter code that will be different. No two people have the same DNA. Now, I would imagine, ladies and gentlemen, that if things just rocked along by random godless chance, that there'd be a few people who would have the same DNA. There'd be a few people who would have the same code. There'd be a few people who might look not only look the same, but they would even act the same in everything. You see, this code helps to dictate our behaviors. It dictates the way we look. It dictates uh, the color of our eyes. It, dicta it dictates uh, how many hairs are on our head and when they'll fall and what color they'll be when they fall. It's amazing what all the DNA does. Do we really think that these things, this DNA code that is identical in every one of the billions of cells in your body but is different from anybody else's DNA that's ever lived or ever will live, do we really think that that DNA just came here by random chance. I submit to you that the DNA clue is a strong hint at the existence of God. There are five clues. There are a lot more. You can look them up and you probably already know them. You could probably explain them better than I could, some of you. But most religions believe in God. 
So really, Christianity has to have something that's more unique than that. And here's what I believe it is. And Christianity is the only faith in the world that teaches what I'm about to say. Christianity contends that this God, this great designer, this great creator, this almighty God, came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ and he lived as a human being. No other world faith says that. No other. The, the, the Muslims have Muhammad, but they don't say he was God come to earth. Buddhism doesn't even have a God. New Age has, well, Shirley MacLaine. Only Christianity contends that God became flesh. John says it best in chapter 1, verse 14. He says, and the Word became flesh. And he made his dwelling among us. Only Christianity says that. Did God have to come to earth in order to experience uh, what it's like to, be, to feel pain and hurt? No, he didn't. An all-powerful God could have stayed right up there in heaven and have felt it somehow without even coming here. But God didn't choose to do it that way. He came to earth and he was born uh, of a virgin named Mary. And he lived a life. He nailed together furniture he experienced hunger. He knew what it was like to be mocked. He knew what it was like to be made fun of. He knew what it was like to be rejected. He knew what it was like to be the truth rejected. He knew what it was like to be nailed to a cross. He knew what it was like to bleed and to, to die. He knew what it was like to experience death. And he knew what it was like to be raised from that death. Christianity. I still embrace Christianity because I believe that Christianity offers the best description for and the best explanation for the God of the universe. The question for you and me this morning is really twofold. Do you know this God? Have you received him by faith in Jesus Christ? Or are you waiting for not clues but proof? You'll wait the rest of your life and you won't get them. Do you know this God? And number two, the second question, if you do know this God, are you following Him in your life? God is not about uh, fire insurance, ladies and gentlemen. I don't, I don't care what we may have heard to the contrary. Yes, He provides a way to heaven, but it's not just a ticket to heaven to escape the pains of this life. It is a way of life that God presents for us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are God. You're the God who designed this universe. You're the God who came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ to give us life. You're the God who hung on a cross. You're the God who paid the price for our eternal life. And Lord, we thank you for the price you paid. We're about to participate in the Lord's Supper, Father. And this Lord's Supper reminds us of the kind of God you are. And we so much praise you for who you are and what you've done for us. In Christ's name, amen.